This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. It would be an understatement to say that the United States' current political situation is tumultuous. We live in a time of near constant protest. And while this may feel new, it is part of the fabric of this country. Every major step in our history has occurred because of civil unrest. From the Boston Tea Party that we now see as a symbol of the American Revolution, to union strikes fighting for safety in the 40-hour work week, to the Stonewall riots that grew into today's pride celebrations. In this week's story, Elizabeth Nungarai takes us through one of her own protest experiences from her teenage years. The dangerous brush with counter-protesters she experiences reminds us of the strides we still have to take as individuals and as a nation. Recorded live in July 2017, Second Story is proud to present H.R. 4437. The TV signal flickers as El Gordo y La Flaca say goodbye as the transition music plays into the news. Primer impacto. The crest white smile of the female news anchor is outshined as the camera zooms into her magenta wrap dress that hugs every curve of her spank stuffed figure. Her wavy hair and immaculate makeup are the opposite of me at 15, decked out in full black, weighing in at 200 pounds and waist long pink hair. I kind of hated her. She sits next to Jorge Ramos. Isabel, turn up the volume. My mom, along with every Spanish news viewer, knows that when he is televised, some shit's going down. I reach up of the fridge to press a broken volume button inside the TV. My mom flips the tortilla, turns off the stove. Her full attention is on the news. This is her only outlet of cultural blends. News that combines foreign and domestic issues into what affects her. Her culture mediator has also been encapsulated in Churspan, aka me. My earliest memory of being her cultural mediator is in her English as a second language class. I would obediently sit on her lap as my small hand traced over the rings of her notebook while she took copious notes. Hello, how are you? She would repeat. Cuchara, spoon, she'd write. On tests, translate and answer the following. Mark left his wallet in the restaurant. Where is his wallet? A twist of her mouth would tell me she's in need of some assistance. Ma, it's, shh, I know. Then she'd brush me off her lap. Luis, mira. My mom refocuses my dad's view from food to the news. Jorge Ramos blares on the TV. Tomorrow, the anticipated May Day March will be held across the country as a battle cry for immigration reform against the HR 4437 Border Anti-Terrorism Illegal Immigration Act. Hundreds of thousands of people will gather in major cities in the United States to march. My parents watch attentively. I watch them. My dad's eyebrows furrow as his nervous tick starts. It's one that makes his mouth twitch slightly. He has been in the U.S. since the 70s. He was the first in our family to cross and stay. Assimilation wasn't on his mind, but as a history packer. He made it his mission to create a new life, but keep stories boarded up from home and weave them together in this new home. So are you going? 
My question snaps him out of the reverie. My hesitant mom? Maybe. My dad analyzes my face. I don't want to see you there, all right? I know you. I don't want to see you get hurt. He knows what happens at those marches. He was good friends with Rudy Lozano. Rudy was an activist. There's even a school named after him. Rudy was also shot fighting for his rights in his own home. My dad marched along with him and knows what happens when you get too involved in an activist climate. I guess my dad has every right to be a bit paranoid. Too bad at that time, I didn't know any of this. Yeah, yeah, okay, I promise. That was a lie. May 10th, 2006, May Day. I'm in school. The usual overcrowded halls were empty. I even got to class on time. Most teachers recognize today as an important day for students. They encourage us to go to the march since that's where they would be. The demographics of Kelly were at that time 65% Latino, 28% Asian Pacific Islander, 12% Black, and the remainder white Polish immigrants. It is a school made of immigrants, second and third generation students whose parents, selves, friends don't have papers, social security numbers, or way to excel in the US. My pre-IB honors biology class consisted of 38 of those types of students. We were annoyed. A nationwide immigration march was happening and we were in class. I switched between uh, watching pigs floating from aldehyde, absently watching the projector, ignoring Miss Mills. Now, the teacher, Miss Mills, <laughs> is a well-to-do suburbanite turned yuppie. Her in her mid-twenties wanted to save the urban youth of the inner city, moved to Chicago and started teaching at CPS. God bless her. <laughs> Tension was building as everyone's mood in class made it harder to pretend to care about the lesson. We are forced to be there. Miss Mills finally notices that no one was paying attention. Now, I need everyone to listen. This is important. How are you going to pass if you're distracted? What is happening downtown doesn't affect you. Ignore it. Most of my friends were at the rally. The cathartic march concerned everyone in school, concerned them, us, me, directly. I yearned to be there, and so did my peers. Okay, you are dismissed. We left five minutes early. I met up with my friends, the Asian Mafia. Our crew was the nerdiest of the nerds. Our hangout times consisted of talking about the French Revolution, math, and anime. We grabbed our homework and took the 62 bus downtown. We were jittery because we were rebels ditching school with permission after getting signed out, is how we rolled. We were making our way towards a May Day immigration march. The march was a massive sea of all kinds of people that started in Pilsen, headed to State Street, and culminated to Grant Park. The Mafia and I had made a plan to stick together. We'll get off by the library, find the action. Is anyone hungry? Uh, all right, if we get lost, let's meet the Duncan by the library. Then we busted out the bus. I felt the excitement all around us. Now, before you think immigrant equals Latino, this was the biggest blend of people I ever saw. Korean, Chinese, Irish, Thai, Polish, Indian, Nigerian, Filipino. For the first time, I saw someone 
and a burqa. There were languages poured around making splashes, jumping for Mandarin, blending with jarring sounds of Portuguese, a kick of Arabic, and melodies from Italy, all blended together with accents of English, marching for their dignity. Everyone was united, chanting, no fears, no papers, humans aren't illegal, respect all humans, and the tried and true, si se puede. There were brightly decorated posters that stated support for the DREAM Act, written comparisons from Jim Crow laws and now, and posters talking about modern day slavery. Man, I was right there with them. I was on the edge of the huge sea of people that took over Babo, Harrison, Congress, I was, I was marching right where the road and sidewalk meets Michigan and Congress. Along those lines, I saw anti-immigration protesters carrying signs of protecting America. They shouted obscenities and things I couldn't decipher. The voices of people, my people overpowered theirs. I did my best to ignore them. I chanted, held my sign. I was on a high along with Rochen, Emily, Rose, Shirley, girls who had to change the name to conform to the country they were brought to, yet were still rejected. We were chanting together, proud, united. We were on the edge of Van Buren in Michigan when again, I saw another section of anti-immigrant protesters. These were self-proclaimed true Americans. I was close enough to hear the yells. I ignored the protesters, but a sign was shoved in front of my face. I fell behind, separated from the group. I tried to push the sign away. Then I made eye contact with his light brown eyes. It happened instantly. I felt the spit hit my shoulder. Get the fuck out of this country, dirty Mexican. My temperature rose. I searched for him, but he was gone. I wanted to run after him, do something, but I just stood there. In the midst of this march, this fragile sense of belonging was broken. Joy dropped from my hands, replaced by the sting of his words in my heartbeat. Have you ever felt demeaned before? Had someone make you believe you're worthless? My friends found me and pulled me towards them. They asked if I was all right, what happened and where'd you go? Whatever I said was empty. Rose saw what was on my shoulder, found a napkin and cleaned it. Rose had one of those gifts that most 15 year olds didn't have, discernment. I don't know if it came from navigating the world as dark and Asian, but we maneuvered our way at the crowd, past the true Americans, past the noise into somewhere quiet. We sat down on the sidewalk and tears rolled down my face. I didn't know why it hit me so hard. It wasn't the first time something like that had happened. I am used to ignoring stares, insults, clerks following me in stores. This wasn't that. For the first time, I felt alone. Even within the context of today, what has changed? Things were always complicated. It was only till now that we are coming to terms that hate never left. After the march, I go back home and I see my dad. He asked me, how was school? 
good, I say. And that's it. School the next day was on automatic mode. Everyone was buzzing yet from yesterday. I didn't care to partake. This wasn't a pity party. I skipped lunch to go to band practice where the rest of the mafia was. We were on our usual banter. When Rose notices that I don't care what's happening, she pulls me outside. I'm mostly quiet. The march may not have brought a sudden shift in how immigrants were treated, but it did change how I perceived myself in the place I called home, displaced. But Rose laid it out simply. You are not the words he spoke or someone to make weak. That was a spark I needed. Shook back to reality and decided to arm myself in order to never allow myself to feel that way again. Now, I weave together different parts of my world to create my own place. Not from here or another country, not a whole of one place. I'm a Patrick mosaic of strong Spanish and Mexican descent that gave me definitive features. Dark, light, thick, thin, but in the three seconds it took you to spit, you completely took a jab at the goddess within this. But I will not give you a rise for all you'll see from me is an uprise. Because I am neither words you speak or someone to make weak. This story was produced by Liz Rice and Aimee Tin, curated by Erlena McLaurin, and directed by Reshmi Hazra Rustabaki, with music and sound design by Mariana Green. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi Nations. Our programming is made possible by the MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, Jeffrey and Joan Goldwater, Katie and Peter Hauser, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this, this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.